Have you gone your whole life thinking a fortnight is 40 days? Welcome to Charlotte Mason Says. I'm John Schindel, here with my wife, Crystal. Join us as we read and discuss the home education series. So, we are back. We're still in the introduction under some preliminary considerations, which is part one for home education. Is it still the intro? It is still the intro. Well... It's still part one. It's part one. It's under preliminary con- consideration, so it still is an introduction. Because then, spoiler alert, when we get to the end, she says, this is what I'm doing and this is why I'm writing this series. So it, it's it's the end of her introduction. Okay, so part one is kind of the intro to the introduction to the book. To the book, to why she's doing this, to some basic things that she thinks... Some basic ground groundwork that she thinks needs to be there. So last time we talked about the three educational laws of the New Testament, which were take heed that ye offend not, despise not, hinder not. Mm-hmm. And she said that those were the great laws, the the great prohibitive laws. And since we've considered those, we can now consider what we should do. Mm-hmm. Well, and we also talked about the child, what the child is. Right. So she starts out and she says, Having just glanced at the wide region of forbidden ground, we are prepared to consider what it is, definitely and positively, that the mother owes to her child under the name of education. And she starts out, she's talking about conditions of healthy brain. This is a section about activity. Well, it's it's a a very old, uh, dated section. It is the current science of her time, because where she's getting at overall is you need to provide the basis for a good physical being to be able to learn ideas. And how do you do that? And that that's her driving force behind all of this mm-hmm. is how how do you create the the best body that a child can learn in? Right. And I feel like even brain science was a lot uh was almost pretty new because she's almost explaining what the brain is she and is. how it works. She is. It's kind of funny. Well, let me let me read her conclusion here real quick, because I think that will help explain where she's coming from. The very last paragraph of this section, she says, I fear the reader may be inclined to think that I am inviting his attention for the most part to a few physiological matters, the lowest round of the educational ladder. The lowest round it may be, but yet it is the lowest round, the necessary step to all of the rest. I lost you. Where are you? Uh, page 37, very end of, of the section. Oh, okay. Yeah, very end of the section. That's her, this is, this is her concluding paragraph, or that's how it starts anyway. Just what you were saying. This is, this is the basis. If we don't get this right, then everything else isn't going to be right either. It's like the, the hierarchy of needs. Exactly. So, so we need to be 
we need to make sure that our brains are right and our bodies are right and our environment is right. Mm -hmm. So she starts with the brain, with what she knows of the brain. Mm -hmm. And so we talked, we talked before we started recording about how we're going to cover this material because like you said, it's out of date. It's dated material and I'm not a scientist or a nutritionist and I have not kept up with leading thoughts and there are many different leading thoughts today. So we might touch on some, but that's, that's honestly not my, my, uh, realm of expertise. I think the goal of reading through a chapter like this is to understand where she's coming from and why she's writing what she's writing. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily the exact pieces of advice that she's giving. Because as we're going to see, some of the exact pieces of advice that she's giving are based on incorrect facts of biology. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that her her reasons for saying and writing what she's saying here are wrong. Mm -hmm. So I think even though she's wrong with some of these things, I think there's still a lot of value in this section that we can continue to apply to our own lives, even if we're not applying them word for word and theory for theory. Dr. Kent Hanfield has done some in-depth looks at this chapter and these recommendations and written a couple articles about it. And you can find those on charlottemasonpoetry.com. Cool. So he is a professional. Right? So go check him out for what of these things are true or not. And I, I probably will too. That sounds interesting. Because some, some <laughs> of this. you know about it. <laughs> right? Some, some of the stuff she talks about. It's almost funny. Well, let's get started. Because it's 100 years old. Yeah. Exercise. And she's not talking physical exercise here. She is talking mental exercise. All mind labor means wear of brain. That's quite a sentence <laughs> or title. <laughs> she's likening working out your brain as, as to working out your body. Mm -hmm. She says, most of us have met with a few eccentric and a good many silly persons concerning whom the question forces itself. Were these people born with less brain power than others? Well, probably not. But if they were allowed to grow up without the daily habit of appropriate moral and mental work, if they were allowed to dawdle through youth without regular and sustained efforts of thought or will, the result would be the same. And the brain, which should have been invigorated by daily exercise, has become flabby and feeble, as a healthy arm would be after being carried for years in a sling. So she's saying that you have to work your brain. Yep. You can't let it alone on on either moral or mental work or else you lose some of that faculty. Well, the one of her conclusions is wholesome mental effort like moral must be carried on under the discipline of rules. So not only are you supposed to do it, but you're supposed to do it regularly and with effort and constantly so that it actually is good for you. Much like a bodybuilder or athlete trains their body. When she says, do not let the children pass a day without distinct efforts, intellectual, moral, volitional. 
So they have to do it. They have to use their brain. They have to have this challenging aspect mentally. Right. So, and uh, we are running into the negative side effects of this. We are. We absolutely are. It's, it's winter here and we have our youngest are two and a half and it is a chore to get everyone outside, especially since it lasts only a little bit of time with the little <laughs> ones. And so I don't do it. Right. And, and that's, that's on me. It, it really is. And the things that they're finding to get into are a, a part of not having this, this mental exercise, this, this stimulation, this constant effort. Yeah. So. It's true. I'm going to write that down as something I need to work on. (laughs) There's going to be a lot of those. Right. It's on the list. The next thing she talks about, though, is rest. Mm -hmm. And just like, again, an athlete or a bodybuilder has to rest after a serious workout, so does the brain. You, You can't just sit and deep think all day. You have to take breaks. Well, and it's interesting the reason she says, and again, science, I don't know, but she says, you know, you only have but so much blood in your body. And when your brain's thinking really hard, your extra blood is in your brain. And so only one set of organs can be excessively active at one times. Now the limbs, now the digestive organs, now the brain, and they go to the extra blood in the body that can be spared goes to support those organs for the time being, which are in labor. And then she goes on to say, that's why after you've had a big meal, don't go and do something hard. Don't go for a really long, strenuous walk. Don't make them think very hard because you need to let their digestive system work. It's interesting. Yeah, this this is one of those that I'm not quite sure is, is true or correct. Because I don't, I don't know if it has to do with the blood. My guess is it's the effect is a, uh, accurate, but maybe not the scientific reasoning behind it. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. Because I know, I, sitting and working in an office all day, I know for sure that breaks are required and recommended and good and you can't sit and think and solve problems for all day. You have to take a break. And when you take a break, if you've been doing serious mental work, then you go do some physical work. You go for a nice walk. You go, uh, I don't know, do some jumping, jumping jacks or something. And then you come back to it after you've let your brain rest for a minute and you've worked another part of your body. All of a sudden, your brain works better. And that's, that's a fact. And that's why you see a lot of offices now start having break rooms that have exercise equipment or things like ping pong tables or foosball tables or or things where you can do something other than work for mm-hmm. a couple minutes. So then you can come back and, and do serious, sustained work. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, that's absolutely a fact. Why? Is it the blood? Eh, I don't know. Maybe. I'm going to go with probably not, but what do I know? (laughs) Well, and even here, she says, bedtime, don't make your brain be too excited before bed. Make sure you have one to two pleasant social hours before bedtime. 
We owe it to the children to abolish evening, quote, preparation, i.e., no homework. <laughs> <laughs> she was an advocate for that way back then. Yeah. No homework right before bed because then your brain will keep going and keep going. And we have the added challenge of screen time. Which, That's true. Which for a lot of people, myself, vast, very much included, I'm on, I'm on my phone or my computer or something right up to bedtime. Yeah, that's true. And that's where I owe it to myself to abolish that an hour or two before bed. Yeah, she says, uh, once excited, the brain is inclined to carry on its labors beyond bedtime and dreams, wakefulness, and uneasy sleep attend the poor child who has been hard at work until the last minute. And again, I know that's that's proven true. It's hard to flip that switch. It is. It's it's hard to turn off, which is why a lot of people do light reading before bed. I know some people do some light exercise before bed. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of things that people do to get themselves ready for bed. I will say that routines typically help with that, though. Mm-hmm. You you do a certain thing at a certain time to tell your body, "Hey, it's time to go to bed." Mm-hmm. And I can attest from that. Even while traveling, like on business trips or whatnot, going through some of those routines and habits really help. Mm -hmm. Even in a totally foreign space, it still helps to do some of those things that have become habitual because you're telling your body, yes, it's a new place. Yes, it's a new bed. Yes, the smells and sights and sounds are all different, but we're going to go through the same process and then we're going to go to sleep. So again, the spirit of what she's saying is is very true still. And then going on to change of occupation. And this is kind of right brain, left brain ideas. Yeah, early thinking of that. Mm-hmm. Where you, you use a, a part of your brain and then when it's exhausted, you move on to something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, sums to history, imagination, which had no part in sums, comes to play in the history lesson. And now they're fine. And they have right. an unexhaustible, I'm sorry, a lively, unexhausted power. And she'll get into this a lot more, but that's one of the things that the Charlotte Mason method is known for, is short lessons and keeping on going. Right. And she talks about school timetables are to be drawn up to give this this variation of work. Mm-hmm. And the secret of weariness children often show in the homeschool room. So very applicable to homeschooling, is that no such judicious change of lessons is contrived. So the mother doesn't necessarily use timetables in the same way that a school teacher would. Right. So, again, something to keep in mind. It is. Uh, So then she starts talking about nourishment and food and meals And she focuses a lot on the blood here. Well, I made a little thing. We need to exercise the brain. We need to rest the brain at a proper time for different things. And then we need to feed the brain appropriately. Mm -hmm. And that's where the rest of this section is going to be on, on these different things to feed the brain. Right. And I don't know how much of what she says here we want to dive into because I don't – what she's saying about nutrition is very dated. 
And you don't want to keep spreading false news. One, I don't want to keep spreading a false narrative, but two, we're not a nutrition podcast. So if you want nutrition advice, I guess go find a nutritionist Mm -hmm. or a nutrition podcast or someone else who can tell you something other or about food other than, well, I like it and I eat it. Yeah. But I, I, but I think, go ahead. Without going into mental arithmetic of this nature, we may say with safety that every sort of intellectual activity wastes the tissues of the brain and a network of vessels supplying the enormous quantity of blood to the organ to make up for the waste of this material and the vigor of, and the health. Vigor and health of the brain depend on the quality and quantity of this blood supply. I, when you use muscles, they get worn down. Yes. And I think the same is in the brain. It is. And so basically she's saying you need to adequately and appropriately provide for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's true. And you can talk about all kinds of things. You can talk about children eating eating food that's high in fat. You can talk about any of the, the latest food fads. But at this point, there has been a lot of research about food and eating and what helps with doing what exercises. Well, and all the time, with all these excessive demands upon him, the child also has to grow, not merely make up for waste, but to produce new substance in brain and body. It's one of the reasons kids eat so dang much food. What's the obvious conclusion? That the children must be well fed. Gosh, they eat you out of house and home. Half of the people of low vitality we come across are the victims of low feeding during childhood. And that's often because their parents were not alive to their duty in this respect. So, she has advice about times of meals, what types of meals, talking during meals. The variation of foods. The variation of foods. There is a section here that I want to quote. No pain should be spared to make the hours of meeting around the family table the brightest hours of the day. This is supposing that the children are allowed to sit at the same table with their parents. And if it is possible to let them do so at every meal excepting a late dinner, the advantage to the little people is incalculable. Here is the parents' opportunity to train them in manners and in morals, to cement family love, and to accustom the children to habits, such as that of thorough mastication, for instance, as important on the score of health as on that of propriety. It It's the, the thought of having a set times multiple times a day to come together and stop and be and be together. Mm -hmm. The gathering around the table to learn from each other, to touch base with each other, to, I don't know, there's nothing else. (laughs) No, but there is something to be said about breaking bread together. And I know that's a, that's an old turn of phrase, but, but there's a lot to it that when you share a meal, you share more than just the meal. You share pieces of yourself. And I think that's just important to do with children. Now that's, and that's not even to get into any of the studies that say children who eat dinner with their parents on a regular basis are less likely to do all kinds of different things, to use drugs or alcohol, to, uh, to engage in premarital sex, to fail out of school, their grades are better. All of those things are things that flow from what this habit 
I guess what it represents. Yeah, what it represents. Because this represents the fact that you are a family and you do care for one another and you do love one another. And you make time for each other. Right. And so those are those are the fruits in children of that family love. And so it's hugely important to to show your children and your family love by taking a meal and sitting down and eating it with them. So, so then variety of meals not the exact same thing on the exact same day. The mother should contrive a rotation for her children that will last at least a fortnight without the same dinner recurring twice. Okay, another thing on my list of things to do. A fortnight. (laughs) Not the game, but the length of time. I believe that's 40 days. No, it's it's two weeks. A fortnight? Yes. Do I just not know what I'm talking about? Yes. A fortnight is two weeks. Fortnite is also a video game. Fortnite is not 40 days. Have you gone your whole life thinking a Fortnite is 40 days? Maybe. Are you? <laughs> I should now stop I'm being laughing. laughed at. <laughs> I should stop laughing. I should allow you to uh, learn new things without being mocked. You're right. 14 days. Yeah, it's just a two week rotation. So it's not nearly as bad as you thought it was. No, no, not at all. I was thinking it was 40 like days. A, like 40 a, a days. month. No, it's it's a two-week rotation. That's not bad. No. That's not bad at all. But she does end. She says they should not have anything always. Every meal should have some little surprise. And then she asks the question here, but is this the way to make them think over much of what they shall eat and drink? I guess thinking if there's always something extra, then they're going to care too much about what they eat. She says, no, on the contrary, it is the underfed children who are greedy and unfit to be trusted with any unusual delicacy. Well, I think this goes back to what she was saying at the end of uh, volume two, where, and I'm quoting out of my brain, which is a bad idea, but where the the child is not necessarily perceptive of what's going on around them, Mm -hmm. but the the mother is making the good things happen. Right. I th- I think it's along those lines where the child doesn't necessarily always think about what they eat. And and we've seen that happen where where parents who are constantly obsessing over food, it rubs off negatively on the children where they develop disorders and bad relationships with the way they eat or the what they eat or how they eat. And it affects them into adulthood. Hmm. As opposed to just knowing to eat a balanced diet and eat a bunch of different things. Mm-hmm. And every plate should have a lot of color on it. Well, and, and all things in moderation. Right. Including sweets. Mm-hmm. So the way to get children to be okay eating a a great variety of things, but also get them to not care so much about the specific things is to give them lots of different foods. Air. Air is just as important as food. I'm not sure I totally agree with that, but it is the one thing we all can't do without. Well, you can't do without air for a lot shorter than you can't do with food. A minute or two at best. She's coming at this from, again, the standpoint of blood. And to a certain extent, I agree. She says the quality of the blood depends almost as much on the air we breathe as the food we eat. In the course of every two or three minutes, 
all the blood in the body passes through the endless ramifications of the lungs for no other purpose than that during the instant of its passage it should be acted upon by the oxygen contained in the air which is drawn into the lungs in the act of breathing. Which I'm pretty sure that's true. Mm-hmm. That blood does circulate through the body every two or three minutes. And and yeah, air quality is a big factor in the quality of the blood that you that goes through your veins. That's why smog and air pollution is bad. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's just not good for you. Anyway, so she talks about it's it's important to give the children daily airings and abundant exercise of limb and lung in unvitiated, unimpoverished air. Well, and we also have to keep in mind that this was over 100 years ago, and the methods of heating houses in the winter was not nearly as clean as it is now. You know, that was something I was thinking as we were reading through this, because she talks about stopping up the chimney as death. Well, that's because there's fire burning in the house. Yeah. So therefore you're just going to breathe in the the is it carbon monoxide? Well, when you've got you and the dog and all your kids and the fire all breathing the oxygen in the room that you're trying to keep warm so you don't have it open to the outside. Right. And the candles, don't forget the candles. And the candles because we need to see, but it's all fire. So unvitiated is pure and uncorrupted. So it's it even back then, even more than today, it was important to get outside. Mm-hmm. One of the things, especially being in the the industry I'm in, the building construction world, on the mechanical side of things, our HVAC units and our codes are demanding more and more outside air being brought into our buildings. And so what she's talking about here, bringing in fresh air to breathe, that's a thing that's happening. Now, a lot of times that fresh air gets conditioned. So if it's cold outside, you're not blowing in cold air, but it is still outside air. And then the inside air is expelled. Not recycled inside air, just going through the system. And what they've discovered is that when you do recycle that inside air, people are less productive. People think uh, slower. slower. They're, They're not as quick on their feet. At the end of the day, they're more tired. But when you provide them fresh air, again, even if you condition it, People, people are better and they're more healthy. And so, again, is it the blood? Is it the brain? I don't know. I don't know why. But it is true that breathing fresh air is very good for you. Well, and she says, here's where most continental nations have the advantage over us. They keep up the habit of out-of-door life. And as a consequence, the average Frenchman, German, Italian, Bulgarian, is more joyous, more simple, and more hardy than the average Englishman climate did not charles ii and he knew declare for the climate of england because you could be abroad more hours in the day and more days in the year in england than in any other country i think nowadays we're comparing ourselves to the uh scandinavian countries we are very much very much in this culture uh, yes those those scandinavian people who get outside every day who ride their bikes every day who bundle their children up and then leave them in the strollers outside of the coffee shop because it's just too much of a hassle to get the baby out of the carriage and all of its clothes. Well, they're sleeping too. Yeah. So you just, so there's just a line of strollers outside of stores and things. Those pictures are hilarious. Yeah. So she talks a lot about air and how, how important it is to have fresh air. She talks a lot about that. 
and, and bellows I, and pipes and thin walls and chemical transmutation and the Prospero that wears the cloak, oxygen his name, and the marvel he effects with us, within us some 15 times in the course of a minute is possibly without parallel in the whole array of marvels which we tot up with easy familiarity, setting down life and carrying us safer. Air is important. Breathing good air is important. Getting outside is super important. And at the end, on page 31, at the end, she says, True, we must needs have houses for shelter from the weather by day and for rest at night. But in proportion as we cease to make our houses comfortable, as we regard them merely as necessary shelters when we cannot be out of doors, shall we enjoy to the full the vigorous vitality possible to us. So, use your house as a means to an end, not as the end itself. Right. It's important, and a lot of people forget that, especially especially here in the U.S. I, we do. Uh, we absolutely do. We're, we're a part of that, a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> That's not me accusing anyone. That's... Yeah, that's us. Yeah, I I don't know how much detail we want to get into with air and how much of this we want to talk because she talks about it until page 34. There was one more air quote. Okay, so she talks about the street kids versus the town kids and how they the street kids look better even though their food's not as good mm-hmm. because they have better oxygen than those inside in unchanging air. Um, this lady's complaining that she feeds her daughter the best nourishing things, but the child doesn't gain f- gain flesh. But she's like, well, it's probably because she doesn't have good air. And she's practically starving, for the food she eats is imperfectly and inadequately converted. So she's equating both the, the necessity of the good air to di- the digestion of that good food you're being provided. Right. Then there's a quote from... Williams Wordsworth about the child and nature. Um, indoor airings. Put two or three breathing bodies as well as the fire and gas into a room, and it's incredible how soon the air becomes vitiated unless it be constantly renewed. That is, unless the room be well ventilated. We know what it's like to come in from the fresh air and complain that the room feels stuffy, but if you stay in the room for a few minutes, you don't care about the stuffiness. In which case, your senses are deceiving you. They're not a safe guide. Yeah, that's true. Which is why we have carbon monoxide detectors. This is true. Well, and I do remember when I was in high school, I grew up in Michigan, and I would leave my window open, not in the summer because it was too blasted hot, but as soon as it wasn't so stinking hot outside, my window was basically open, the top and the bottom, just all the time. Also partly because I built model airplanes (laughs) <laughs> and so I painted them and had paint thinner. But, you know, I also left my window open in the dead of winter because it just felt good. Mm-hmm. And it, and you could you could breathe the cold, fresh air and it felt awesome. So I, I totally agree with that. She recommends leaving, like you're saying, leaving windows open throughout yeah. the year. My My issue with that, especially in the kids' room, even our room, is that I also want a dark room. <laughs> and there are street lights yeah. and neighbor lights and it's very hard to get a dark room and have the window open. Yeah, I guess you you take what you can. I started a new book with the kids and she drew the curtains around the bed. So mm-hmm. we should 
We should have the room be ventilated and draw curtains around the beds at night. Yes. <laughs> That's a great idea. We should definitely do that. You should sound more enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> We're totally not doing that. Uh, so Right yeah. now. So yeah, she talks <laughs> about air for a while and then she moves on to sunshine. And here's where she 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 dives off a cliff of wrong. And it's kind of funny. Uh, she says, but it is not only air and pure air the children must have if their blood is to be of the finest quality. Uh, she says, now it is observed that people who live much in the sunshine are of a ruddy countenance. That is a great many of these rud corp- red corpuscles. Oh, I missed that corpuscle part. Corpuscles. Cor- corpuscle. Corpuscles? Corpuscle. I don't know. I don't know. How red to blood cells. Yeah, red blood cells. Basically, she's saying that, that the more you're in the sun the more red your, your blood cells get. And so therefore your skin becomes more red and brown because of your blood. Well, I think it's more that it comes to the surface. With that too, it's still wrong. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know enough to say yes. I don't know enough to say no. To To be sure, when you spend time in the sun, you have more melanin in your skin and you become your skin grows darker, but I don't think that's because of the red corpuscles, corpuscles, corpuscles. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to say that word. But anyway, uh, again, she, the science behind what she's saying might be wrong, or maybe I'm wrong and you're laughing at me because I'm laughing at her. But it's still true. Sunshine is very important. If for no other reason, then you get vitamin D from it. Um, and, and that's just good for you. Mm-hmm. It's like the, the only best way to get vitamin D. Mm-hmm. Free perspiration. One of the ways that your body excretes waste is through sweating. Mm-hmm. And the in, insensible perspiration. So girls do sweat. No. No, we glisten. That's not what she's saying. You perspire, just like the rest of us. <laughs> and if you harm too much of your skin, then your body cannot get rid of the waste as well. And she's basically using that as an example to say, you, you need to be aware of that fact and take care of your body and not block it up in undue ways. Right. So you need to let your skin breathe. You need to let your, your, you need to clean out your pores. She goes on to talk about daily baths and wearing porous garments. And I know clothing has come a long way since she wrote this. So again, I'm not going to say anything about the specific type of material she's talking about. There is a lot of people going back to wool nowadays, though. There's, there's a lot to be said for it. It's still a very good material. But there's also, there's, again, there are so many people that say so many different things. I don't know. But it is true that you don't want to stop yourself from sweating. Mm -hmm. And you do want to be in airy clothes. Conclusion. For it is not too much to say that in our present state of being, intellectual, moral, even spiritual life and progress depend greatly upon physical conditions. Well, that's not to say that he who has a fine physique is necessarily a good and clever man. 
But the good and clever man requires much animal substance, again, food recommendation, to make up for the expenditure of tissue brought on by the exercises of his virtue and intellect. For example, is it easier to be amiable, kindly, and candid with or without a headache? Yeah, I thought that was that was really funny. I read that and went, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I guess your your physical state is actually important when you when you are in pain. It's harder to be a nice person. Yeah. Yeah. So that is the physical conditions of the brain. We made it. <laughs> we did. That was that was a pretty long section. Uh, again, I think it'd be really interesting to to read through that guy's scientific delvings into this because a lot of what she says is interesting. It makes me curious about the science behind what she's saying and what has happened to the science since then. Mm-hmm. One one thing she doesn't talk about here is the importance of drinking water. And that's another huge thing of importance is drinking water. Yeah, right. That That is missing. I, it didn't hit me until just now as I started talking about this. She talks about perspiring and sweating, but she doesn't talk about drinking water. Huh. And I wonder... If that's a thing of the times and of the the country and maybe the ability to get fresh water. I don't know. I don't either. So the reign of law in education. Once we've set this physical groundwork of the things to do to create the best environment for learning. What laws do we follow? What's the method? What is the method? The orderly, regulated process along the guidance of law. Yeah, and I'm not quite sure where she's going with this section. I think it has to do with the pendulum swings. It. She's talking about both divine law and natural law, basically. As coming from a Christian perspective, there were and are... People who say, nope, no science, nope, not touching that. All we need to know is in the Bible. True. And there are people that say, pendulum swing. Science is everything. Only what we can see and observe is true. Supernatural is not to be accounted for because that's that's outside the realm of normal. Right. And she's saying, okay. People who follow the law of nature, even if they don't acknowledge the creator himself, are following the unwritten laws of God because he is the the God of nature. He is the God of, of life. Right. And so she, she approaches this here because, because the children are going to see people who do not follow the laws of God, and who have better lives, more blameless lives, freer from the flaws of temple, from the vices of selfishness than do many sincerely religious people. Sure. And the children will see that. Yeah, And they, they will. will see something, something's not lining up right. Right. So she says, okay, teach them. This, this is a, a danger where we can recognize what we do need to follow and what's available for everyone. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. She she doesn't want people to fall too much to either side. Mm-hmm. But 
but recognize and and follow the laws, the, the divine laws, the laws of God, but also to recognize and follow the scientific laws. Mm-hmm. All safety, progress, and success in life come of obedience to law, to the laws of mental, moral, or physical science, or that of spiritual science which the Bible unfolds. And it's possible to ascertain laws and keep laws without recognizing the lawgiver. And this is why she doesn't throw out all, uh, back to the great recognition at the end of volume two, this is why she doesn't throw out all of the scientific and philosophic and musical and geometry and mathematics. That's why she doesn't throw out all of that knowledge by people who aren't Christians. And that makes sense. And she says, you know, it's the the person, the the believer who enjoys only the spiritual law and takes up an attitude of antagonism or resistance is almost like an infidel. It is nothing to him that he is fearfully and wonderfully made. He doesn't care to know how the brain works. He doesn't care to know the, the more subtle essence we call mind, how it evolves and develops in obedience to laws. Well, I will say the the more... I've learned about science and math and astronomy, not astrology, right? Astronomy. Astronomy is the study of stars. Right. Okay. I get those two mixed up. Astronomy, you know, the, the, the workings of like the time space continuum and all kinds of random stuff, regardless of if I'm reading a secular scientist or a religious scientist really doesn't matter they they can be talking about things as as a religiously as they want when i read it i still go wow that that's so cool and god already knew it cuz he made it and how cool is that mm-hmm. you know the more we learn about the intricacies of the body the, the more the more great it shows god to be that he created it so it's it's that that two-sided thing of, yes, it's good to learn more and it's good to study more and find out more. And it's also good to attribute those things to the creator. Mm-hmm. Well, and she says, now, believing parents have no right to lay up this crucial difficulty for their children. She sees it as a stumbling block. She does. They have no right, for instance, to pray that their children may be made truthful, diligent, upright, while at the same time neglecting to acquaint themselves with the principles of moral science that will guide them into truthfulness, diligence, and uprightness of character. What I contend for is that these sciences have their part to play in the education of the human race, and then the parent may not disregard them with impunity. So she's saying... Believing parents, science is important. Mm-hmm. You can't not have it. You can't Which goes it. back to her fascination with the brain. It does. In volume two, where we kept coming up on things where she's like, oh my goodness, brain science. It's amazing. Right. We're learning so much. Yeah. And she kept learning about it. She did because she was fascinated because she wanted to know more because she wanted to know how to do life better. Well, in my endeavor in this and the following volumes of the series will be to sketch out roughly a method of education, which, as resting on the basis of natural law, may look without presumption to inherit the divine blessing. And that takes you back to her very, what is it, her very first sentence? Yeah, the very first sentence saying that she's going to outline it. 
Oh, the very first sentence of the preface. My attempt in the following volume is to suggest to parents and teachers a method of education resting on a basis of natural law. So she's saying, you know, we're I'm I'm trying to make this work because it's what works. Yeah. Not because of what I want or what I think. It's it's this is what I have seen and observed and learned and this is how this is a method, a way of educating children. And she's doing her best to pull from both the secular and religious sides of things. Mm-hmm. She's reading and implementing some secular thoughts, and she's reading and implementing uh, religious thoughts as well. She's not ignoring anything that's coming up, so long as it makes sense based on what she's observing about life and children and education. Which I think makes it a very powerful method of education. I would agree, because it's it's all-encompassing. It takes into account all kinds of different things. All right. So that finishes out. Finishes out part one. That's the end of part one. Some preliminary considerations. So that means next week we get to dive into part two. And we start with out-of-door life for the children. Yeah. And going from there. Growing time, sightseeing, picture painting, flowers and trees. This is exciting. I'm very excited about this. <laughs> this is going to be fun. Cool. But that's next week. That's next week. So thanks for hanging out. Hit us up on any of the social medias. If you're watching on YouTube, click that subscribe bell or the subscribe button and the bell. <laughs> Crystal thing still thinks I'm funny. But if you're a YouTuber, you know all about those buttons. But yeah, uh, subscribe to us. Uh, again, if you like what we're doing, uh, let other people know. That is that is by far the best way to to help us uh, reach more people, to help us to continue what we're doing, is for you, our listeners, to tell other people about us. So thanks for hanging out. Or something. I don't know. <laughs>